Alright, good afternoon. So this afternoon we have a special, special treat. Uh, this is my friend Francis. And Francis is actually a part of YWAM and Danshui. And Francis is one of the most gifted translators I know, apart from Yiping and Patty that we have in our church. We have some amazing translators here in our community, guys. Francis has been with YWAM and Danshui since 1996. Uh, yeah, she's really expressive, she's really exciting. You might want to watch her rather than even listen to me as I'm preaching. Uh, but really, you guys, other than translating, Francis could actually get up here and share with you guys. She has such a legacy of serving the Lord, of being in missions. Yeah. And so uh, we, we are so thankful she's here because she gives Yiping and Patty a break. So let's welcome Francis. All right, you guys, well, welcome to City Life Church. As it was said earlier, we exist to see all people know, love, and follow after Jesus. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. We're going to continue from the story from last week. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was actually watching something on YouTube, and it was where a trial was happening where a criminal was being convicted. And as the jury came out, this guy was being convicted of murder and all these other crimes, and they were debating whether to give this guy the death penalty. I don't know if you've ever seen something like this, but the jury came out, the judge comes out, and the guy is sitting there in the anticipation, wondering, What's the verdict going to be? And the jury came out, and sure enough, they announced and they pronounced that his verdict was going to be the death penalty. And the look on this guy's face, I mean, if you can imagine, the look on this guy's face is just complete shock, hopelessness, his family looks like they're completely hopeless because there's nothing that anybody can do for him now. You see, many times when we think about being hopeless or hopelessness, we can imagine people like this guy who's a prisoner, maybe someone on their deathbed. But the Bible tells us that you and I, outside of Christ, are in the same place 
that we are stuck in bondage to sin and that there's nothing anybody can do for us except Jesus. The story that we're going to talk about this afternoon is actually the story of where Jesus meets a guy who was demonized by over 2,000 demons. And what Mark wants us to see from the story today is that where Satan seeks to destroy, Jesus is the author of life. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're only going to read verses 1 through 5, but we're going to be covering verses 1 through 20. Okay, let's read this together. First in English, then in Chinese. One, two, three. They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man of an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. 他们到了海的那边进入河拉山人的地区始终没有人能制服他他终结在坟墓里和三眼睛喊叫又用石头砍自己 Let's pray together 我们一起祷告 Father, thank you for your word 父神,我们谢谢你的话语 Lord, you tell us in 2 Corinthians that we should not lose heart 因为在哥林多后书里面也讲到说我们不要失去我们的那个信息 You tell us that we should look to the things that are unseen rather than things that are seen 同时你也告诉我们，我们要把眼目定睛在看不见的，而不是看得见的事情上。So we're asking that by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you allow those things that are spiritual realities become real to us this afternoon？愿圣灵你自己来启示，让我们可以看到那属灵界看不见的事情，让我们能够得以看见。Christ, would you be glorified？愿基督你自己被荣耀。Jesus name we say together。我们奉耶稣的名祷告。Amen。Amen。Amen。Are you guys seated？好，请坐。so Mark finishes last week. If you guys were here last week, it was the story where Jesus calms the storm. And at the end of that story, the disciples, if you remember, they're just in complete awe and fear of who Jesus is. And at the end of that story, the disciples are gathered around with each other and they look at each other and they ask this question, Who is this? And Mark, I 
Jacqueline puts this story right after that one to give us the answer of that question. That of all the people, the demons are the ones who declare the answer to that question that Jesus Christ is the Son of the Most High God. However, Mark wants to show us that Jesus is the author of life, but he first shows us that Satan seeks to destroy and harm. Look at, Look at verses 1 through 5. I want you to imagine what this man's life was like. It says, number one, that he lived in the tombs, in the graveyard. It said that he had often been bound with shackles and chains. That means people were literally trying to come to this guy and chain him up, tie him up. It's a horrible way to live. It also said that this man was cutting himself, crying out day and night. And Mark tells us three times that no one, nothing, no one can save this man or bring him relief. In verse 4, it says that no one was strong enough to subdue him. The word subdue is actually a word that they use for wild animals. It has the, the idea or the image of someone taming a wild beast that should live out in the wilderness, and that's how they are describing this man. So you have a man with demons on the inside, death on the outside, and if that's not bad enough, he also would be considered unclean. So Mark tells us there are four things that makes this man unclean. Number one, he was a Gentile. Number two, he was demonized or demon possessed. And number three, it says that he lived among the graveyards or the tombs. And then finally, he lived near a pig farm. And so Mark gives us a vivid description of a man that's being demonized or possessed by demons. Now, if you're from a Western society, a lot of times we don't like to talk about demons. You might even be thinking as a read this story, uh, this is a little bit of an exaggeration. Really, a guy who had 2,000 demons inside of him? In the West, we tend to not believe in the supernatural. 
However, in, in Taiwanese culture, the idea of evil spirits that are real that seek to harm you are very real to them. C.S. Lewis says this about our belief about devils or demons. He says this. He said that there are two errors that we can fall in when it comes to demons. He said one is to disbelieve in their existence. That means that maybe you're sitting here and you think that there isn't really this spiritual reality, a spiritual enemy who seeks to harm you and destroy you. C.S. Lewis says, that is an error. The other error, however, he says, is to believe but have an excessive amount of obsession over who they are and what they do. And so Mark shows us that these demons do exactly what their leader Satan does, which is destroy life. John 8.44, Jesus says this. He's actually talking to Pharisees, but he says this about them and the devil. You were of your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. So Satan is a murderer, he's also a liar. First Peter 5 says this. Peter's actually telling you and me to, to be sober-minded, to be alert. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. And as you look at this story, the devil, the demons are trying to destroy this man, I feel like, in three ways. The first way is emotionally. It's really hard to see who is talking in the story. Is this the demons talking or is this the man talking? You see, the Bible says that God created you, He created your personality, He created you in His image. But it seems like the very thing that God created, Satan is seeking to destroy it. Literally looks like this man is bipolar. If you go on, it says that Satan was also seeking to destroy him physically. This is the most obvious one, but Satan only seeks your heart. He seeks to destroy life. Satan 
And he wants to destroy that which was made in God's image. So you have this man cutting himself night and day, crying out, Would someone save me? Would someone bring me relief? Satan is also destroying this man relationally. Look where he lives. He looks, he lives among the tombs, among the graves. And see, there was this belief around the time that Jesus was teaching. Someone taught, this religious teacher taught that anyone who lived among the graves and tore their clothes was considered insane. And so this man was completely removed, completely separated from his family, from his friends, from his community. Satan was destroying the and I believe that the Bible presents to us that anytime there is demonic oppression or when there is actually demonization, these three things will be present. That self-harm is a sign of demon, of demonic oppression or even a demonization when we start harming ourselves and cutting ourselves. So this man is completely hopeless. He's alone and he's hopeless. And I think, you know, here in Taiwan, we live in a culture where we are afraid of death. Right, in Taiwan, no one likes the number four because it sounds too much like the word for death. How many of you guys have been in a building where there's no fourth floor here? Or you've been to a restaurant and you have four guests, but the way that they say it is actually three plus one. And so even in not just Taiwanese culture, but all of our cultures, there's this fear or this really um, misunderstanding of what death is, and we're afraid of it. So Mark so begins right out of the gate with this story of telling someone who is in constant, conscious suffering, and there's nothing and no one that can bring him relief. And I thought about, man, I wonder how many of us feel similarly to this guy. Now, I'm sure you don't have 2,000 demons living inside of you, but maybe you feel like you're in this constant place of suffering, of trial, and there's nothing and no one that can bring you relief. Well, there's good news because where Satan seeks to destroy, Mark goes on, he says, Jesus delivers. 
好消息来了。虽然撒旦来乃是要摧毁杀害，但是基督来乃是要恢复重建。In verse six, it continues says that Mark Mark says that this man saw Jesus from afar off and he ran and he kneels at his feet. 在马可福音里面的第六节，他是讲到说呢，当格拉森呢远格拉森人远远的看见耶稣的时候，就冲向去冲向前去拜他。Now, where before no one could get near this guy, or no one wanted to get close to him, just the presence and the power of Jesus walking off the boat, this demon came running to him and falling at his feet. 你有没有觉得很有意思？在之前，耶稣来之前呢，没有任何一个人能够到得了这个人的周边。可是呢，一旦耶稣的存在，他的人能力到了，他一下了船，这个人居然冲向耶稣。And, if, and some people don't know: is this the man running to Jesus because he? Knows who he is, or is this actually the demons running to Jesus because they know who he is? Later on, the demons say they know who this is. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God, and they say, "Why are you here, Jesus?" The demons do not want Jesus there because they believe that this is their territory, and they know who Jesus is and what he can do, and they don't want him there. 然后呢，耶他呃撒旦他们也知道耶稣是谁，然后他们也不希望耶稣在这里，因为这是属于他们的领域。Yes, the Bible really tells us it's very clear that when we preach the gospel, there is a very real spiritual resistance to the proclamation of Jesus. 的确，在圣经里面也很清楚的看到，就是说呢，当我们在传扬福音的时候，的确有那种极大的属灵的抵抗力在我们的当中。That if you desire to trust Jesus and walk with Jesus, the Bible says that you will face resistance from a very real enemy, Satan himself. 就像当我们呢愿意而且顺顺顺从的跟随神的时候呢，的确我们会遇到那种属灵的抵抗，就是所谓的撒旦。There's a pastor. He tells a story where he goes up in the mountains of Nepal and he's preaching the gospel to people who've never heard it before. 那个时候呢，有一个牧师，他就讲到这样一个故事。他在尼泊尔，然后他到了山上那个区域，他开始传扬福音。那个地方从来没有听过神的福音。And as he was walking to these villages, they were way up in the mountains. He said a woman ran past him just with like superhuman speed. 那个时候呢，当他上了山，当他要开始宣扬神的福音的时候，突然有一个女女女子哈，就是呢，她跑得比飞毛腿还要快，就是非于常人的速度。And as she went to the house, she said the man got closer and closer, and then she came back out with this crazy look on her face. 然后那时候呢，当这个人呢越来越靠近的时候呢，那个女女子呢，她就冲了出来，然后她的脸上呢是无法形容的一种表情。And she looked at this man, and she said this. 然后呢，这个女士呢，就对着这个人说这个。She said, "This is your welcome for coming to our village." And she began to drink something. 然后呢，她就说呢，你你来呢，这是用呃这呃对不起，她说我是用这样的方式来欢迎你。然后她这个女子她就开始喝一种东西。And the guy was in shock, but then he said the husband and the kids ran out of the house, and they're screaming at their mom to stop. 然后那时候呢，这个人呢被吓到，因为这位女子在他面前喝了一个东西。Because she was drinking insecticides. What? She was drinking insecticides. 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 
The reality is Satan hates the proclamation of the gospel. And there is a very real resistance when you and I say that we are going to preach the gospel and let people know about the good news of Jesus. But the purpose of Mark's story here is not that we would be amazed with demonic power. The purpose of Mark's story is that we would be amazed with the power of Jesus. It says that the demon ran and knelt down before Christ. In verse 7, it says that he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. I mean, can you imagine the disciples in this moment? Like, they just got off the boat, almost died. They hit the ground, and this guy possessed with 2,000 demons is running to them. They're thinking, what is going on? And in the very question that they asked, who is Jesus, the demons actually give them the answer. It says, you are Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God. If you read the story here in verses 1 through 20, what you're going to notice is there's this repeated word of begging and pleading with Jesus. It says that these demons are begging Jesus not to do something or send them somewhere. You see, the Bible never presents the relationship between Jesus and Satan as a struggle. We struggle against Satan, right? We struggle against uh, his attacks and the things that he sends our way. But the Bible never says that Jesus and God struggle against Satan. Satan is a created being, and Jesus is the supreme authority, has more power than, than Satan, as you see in the story. And so the demons ask Jesus, they say, please don't torment us. What are they talking about here? You see, the Bible talks about a judgment where Satan and his demons are going to be judged forever. And 
In Revelation 20, verse 10, it says that the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. In 1 John 3, it actually says that the Son of God was revealed for this purpose. To destroy the devil's works. And so the demons are pleading with Jesus, please, not that, not right now. Can you send us to the pigs? However, as you read this story, there's a question that should arise. It says that uh, Mark says that the demons responded this way because Jesus first commanded the demons to come out. So we should ask the question: Why does the unclean spirit not come out? Why does Jesus allow for the delay of this interchange to take place? In verse 9, Jesus actually asked the name, like, what is your name? Why does Jesus ask for their name? Do we need to know the name of every single demon and every unclean spirit before we can rebuke or stand in the authority of Jesus? That's not the pattern of the Bible. So why the delay? Why did, they ask, why did Jesus ask the name? And why the pigs? So I want us to think about the culture that Jesus is ministering in. It's a very Gentile pagan culture that Jesus is in right now. Think about his disciples up to this point. They've been hearing his teachings, seeing his miracles, but there's still this confusion about who Jesus really is. Think about this man. I mean, this man was ostracized, set apart from his family, considered to be insane, crazy, and tortured all of his life. Jesus allows for the delay. And he asks for the name. Because he wants everyone to be clear what's about to happen. He wants his disciples to know. He wants this man to know. He, he wants all the people that are going to report this story to know that this is not just one unclean spirit, but this is an army of demons that are bowing, groveling to the authority and the power of Jesus. That Jesus allows for the demon not to come out the first time is not because of a lack of power of Jesus. It's 
It's not because of the lack of glory of Jesus. But so that Jesus would get more glory and that his disciples would have a greater revelation of the power of Jesus as they see, oh my goodness, this guy has 2,000 demons inside of See, I think what Mark wants us to realize is it's not that we just have to trust in the power of Jesus, but we also have to trust in his timing and the way that he chooses to do things. That if you're experiencing something that's difficult, if you're going through suffering, I can promise you the, the delay or God's timing is not because he lacks power. It is not because he lacks glory. It is not because he lacks love for you. It's because he wants you and me to get a greater revelation of his power, a greater revelation of his love, and a greater revelation of his glory. And so Jesus exercises the demons and he allows them to go into the pigs. Jesus delivered this man. Why the pigs? Jesus wants there to be a clear and public display of his victory. It is a clear public sign that the Son of the Most High God has defeated easily, with no contest at all, this army of demons, and they go to their defeat, drowning in the sea. This is what Mark is, is leading us to see, you guys, is what no one else could do, what everyone else tried to do, where everyone else has failed, Jesus has succeeded. And that's good news. Because where Adam failed, the first human being, where King David failed, where you and I failed, every single day where every person who's ever lived has ever failed, Jesus has been victorious. And I really think what Mark wants us to do is he says, listen, this is a clear and public display of the victory of Jesus, but where is the clearest and the most public display of Jesus' defeat over Satan? It's the cross. Colossians 2, 13 through 15, it says this, And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him. 
and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, the spiritual ruler and authorities, and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. That on the cross, Jesus won. See, many people have this question now, doesn't God care about evil? This last week at Gospel Community, we talked about this a lot. Well, why, why, does, why, why do bad things happen to good people? Doesn't God care about justice? Doesn't God care about evil? God cares about defeating evil. God cares about justice so much that he put his son on the cross to die in our place and to absorb the judgment and the wrath that evil deserves. He defeated evil on the cross. That in Buddhism, you know, people believe that evil is necessary. Kind of balances everything out. You have to have good and you have to have bad. That's what Buddhism believes. In Taoism, evil is almost irrelevant. It's not like you can kind of live however you want to live as long as you bye bye and do the things that you're supposed to do. But in the gospel, Evil is defeated through the cross of Christ. Satan hates the fact that in the moment that he thought was his sure victory was the moment of his defeat. So this man runs to Jesus and gets delivered. Notice that the demonized man doesn't go and try to clean himself up first before he runs to Jesus. I mean, he doesn't say, oh, that's Jesus. I better, I'm naked, I better go put some clothes on, I better wipe the blood off my body, I better get myself cleaned up, and then I'll come to Jesus. No, he runs to Jesus in his mess, in his chaos, throws himself at the feet of Christ to be delivered. Church, we don't clean ourselves up and come to Jesus, but we come to Jesus to be made clean. So 
So Mark says Jesus delivers. So the question we should ask ourselves, is there any sin too great for Jesus to deliver us from? Is there any mistake that you have made that is too difficult for Jesus to redeem you from? Is, is my anger too much for Jesus? Is lust too much for Jesus? Is greed too much for Jesus? Mark is showing us and he's showing every single person who ever reads this story that if 2,000 demons are no match for the power of Christ, then neither is your sin. That Jesus is a great Savior. That, you know, your spouse is not your deliverer, your kids are not your deliverer, your job is not your deliverer. Jesus is the only one that can set us free. Finally, Mark says not only does Jesus deliver, but Jesus also restores. As you go through the rest of the chapter, what we see is that when the people hear about what Jesus had done, it says they beg Jesus to please leave, just leave. But in verse 18, if you look there with me, it says this about the man who was demon-possessed. It says as he was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly. He just wanted to be with him. But Jesus did not let him go and said, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus doesn't let him go with him. And Jesus says it's because he wants this man to go back and be a witness for what Jesus had done for him. Could you imagine if years later Jesus came back to the same region and he finds this man and he has a crowd of people around him? And they were asking him about this story. And this man was like, man, you should have seen it. I grabbed that devil. I threw him down. I wrestled him. I just delivered myself from all of these demons. That would be ridiculous. You see, the message of this man's life, the message that he was sent to proclaim was not about his own effort, but it was what Christ had done through his mercy. So 
That, that deliverance and redemption is not our work. It is the work of Christ, and He does it through His mercy. Now, we saw earlier that Jesus publicly displays His victory over Satan on the cross, but do you know how He continues to display His power over spiritual authorities? Through you and me, the church. Ephesians 3, 10 through 11. I love this. I love these verses. These verses are packed with meaning, but this is what they say. It says that he is Ephesians 3, 10 through 11. Just keep going. It's a couple more. Yeah. One more. It says that this is so that God's multifaceted, this amazing deep wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. No, 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 keep going. Okay. So this says that basically God's wisdom is now made known through the church. And so we see that God uses the church, but we have to ask this question, why on earth would God use people like this demoniac who had such a horrible past to proclaim the goodness of who he is? I mean, won't his past actually be an obstacle for, the, for God using him to proclaim the gospel? It's just the opposite. That God's redemption of sinful, broken people display the greatness of His power, the greatness of His love, the depth of His mercy, your past and my past included. See, the gospel of, of Christianity does not call you and me to pretend like we don't have sin or pretend that we don't have a past. The gospel says that we need to confess the depth of our sin because that enables us to see the depth of the mercy of God. Charles Spurgeon says this, he says, to think lightly of sin is to think lightly of the Savior. That God wants to use your story. He wants to use your story, your past, where you proclaim the Lord's mercy to people that you see and people that you come in contact with. 
There's a story of a, of a eye doctor. He opened a clinic in a new place, and he wasn't getting anybody to come in and to be his uh, clients. And so uh, he said he saw this really, really poor man. He was walking on the street, and he noticed and he realized that this man was actually legally blind. And so this man said, hey, would you, would you like to see? And the guy said, yeah. And so he asked him to come in. And he did this surgery. And, 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 and thankfully enough, through the, through the doctor, he says that the blind man was able to see for the first time. But this man who was blind, he looked at the doctor and he said, But I can't, I can't pay you for this. I don't, I don't have money. Like, there's nothing I can do to repay you for what you've done. And it says that the eye doctor said, I know that. All I want you to do is to tell people you were blind, and now you can see, and tell them where to go. And this was what Jesus told this man to do. This is what he tells us to do. It's just to tell people what Jesus has done for us and what he's done in us. However, finally, I'm sure you guys, I'm sure this guy, as he went to house to house in all of the regions he was going through, I, I can guarantee you there are people who said, no, 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 no. I, I know who you used to be. You, you were that demon possessed man. No, no, you're the guy who used to cut yourself. You used, oh no, man, you're the guy who used to live in the graveyards. I, mean, I know who you were. And that's exactly what Satan does to us. He accuses us. And some of you in here right now, that's all you hear is based upon what you've done in the past, and you're not hearing the good news of the gospel based upon what Jesus Christ has done through his mercy. So the Bible says in Romans 8, 1, we should, we should probably say this verse every single week. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That word, no, in the Greek actually means no. No. No, yeah, it just means no. It doesn't mean you're sometimes not condemned when you perform well or when you do the right things. It says if you are in Christ, you are not condemned. And 
That the very accusation that Satan has against you and me, namely that we are God's lawbreakers and sinners, Jesus defeated that by breaking his body on the cross so that the enemy falls silent. So as Mark, as I read this story, Mark is, is persuading us, he's pleading with us to trust in the power of the cross as our only way to be delivered and to be set free. That your debt, if you've repented of your sin and trusted in Christ, your debt is canceled forever. You're free. And guys, we do this in our worst moments. That when you feel like and you've just blown it all day. Like there are still things in my heart that are deep in my heart that I have to continue to run back to the cross as the only way to set me free, as the only way to deliver me and bring me free. But we also do this on our best days. When you walk obediently, you, you know, you preach the gospel, you read your Bible, you're you know, speaking in tongues as you're going everywhere. When you are just doing amazing, you do not forget that it is only because of the cross of Christ, the power of Christ, and the grace of Christ that has enabled us to live this life that we can live now. We do this because the cross has done what no one else can do. The cross is stronger than Satan. The cross is stronger than sin. It's enough for our past, our present, and our future. So as we close, how do we do this? Number one, it begins on how you talk to yourself. If you are a Christian, how often do you preach the gospel, the victory of the cross to yourself? Tim Keller says this, he says, Now, not often does Satan control us with fame marks on the flesh and with lies in our hearts. Also, how do we how do we speak to those around us? I mean, are we a community? Are we a culture that push each other to the gospel? When I fail, I do not need people to remind me of my own effort. I need them to remind me of the mercy of Jesus. And 